Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to have you with us. I want to say hello to those of you in our parent viewing areas. Uh, that's a great option if you have small children that you prefer to keep with you. Uh, also, hello to those of you joining us in our online campus as well. Thanks for tuning in through that venue. And uh, I want to begin a little bit different today because I just received a, a text message uh, just a few minutes ago that I want to share with you. And it's from one of our uh, global partners. He actually uh, wrote me, and we partner with a, uh, an orphanage in uh, Kaliningrad, Russia. And uh, he just said, hey, uh, please pray for our, our staff with the issues going on in Russia and around the world uh, between Russia and Ukraine. Our team is feeling nervous. We had an emergency board meeting Friday night and transferred a year's worth of funds into the country. He said, normally we send them quarterly. Uh, if it wasn't for Westbridge Church and your continued support, we would not have been able to do this. But because of your generosity, we can do this where it's most needed in a time where it's most needed. Thank you for all that you do. So uh, first of all, I want to say thank you for your generosity because you never know when something like this comes up. And uh, because we've been able to support them monthly th- you know, for the last couple of years, uh, and we take a percentage of everything that comes in here and we give it away uh, to global partners, they're able to help. But I also just want to take a minute and uh, just pray because uh, there's unrest around the world and uh, we're... It's one thing when you see it on the news and you, it, it feels far away, but it's another thing when you have uh, a friend who has an organization that works in that country and, uh, or close by and is being impacted directly by those things. And so I just want to pause and take a minute and, uh, and pray for our friends at Change 30. And Change 30 is, uh, the idea is that for orphans in Russia, uh, in Kaliningrad, uh, they don't live past 30. And so the idea of Change 30 is to change that number to help equip them and give them uh, the ability to live beyond 30. And so um, for our friends at Change Change 30, let's just say a quick prayer this morning. God, uh, we know that there's unrest around the world. We know that there's um, evil in the hearts of of people that want to do violent things. And God, we just pray, uh, first of all, for peace in our world. We pray, God, that uh, your spirit would move and permeate and uh, renew our hearts and our minds. We pray, God, for specifically for Change 30, we pray for Matt, for his team, for their staff, for those that work in country, for those that are working directly with uh, students and teenagers and uh, young adults, and we pray for uh, peace. We pray that your Holy Spirit would guard their hearts and their minds, that you would give them a peace that moves beyond anybody's ability to comprehend or understand. And God, uh, may we continue to live as peacemakers here in this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks for doing that with us. Uh, Kind of unusual, but unusual circumstances here. Uh, We're going to jump into a new series this morning. I'm excited about this. It's something I've been thinking about and praying about. And to kick us off, I just want to ask this question. What is that space in your house where all the clutter goes? And... and (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. All the clutter just goes there, and it just starts to pile up. And the truth is that uh, you you know what that spot is, don't you? Like, you're already picturing it in your own mind. Uh, Think about it for a second. My guess is you can kind of imagine that. Uh, Maybe for some of you, it's that one closet that kind of looks like this. Just like uh, a horrible mess, right? And some of you are like, oh my gosh, did you sneak into my house this week? What, what is happening here? Uh, maybe it's, that, it's uh, that one drawer that you pray that guests never, ever see. Like, dear God, please do not open that drawer because if you do, you're going to see what a horrible mess my life is. Maybe it's your entire garage. 
Uh, maybe it's that. Did you know that over the last 50 years, uh, the average size of the American home has tripled and 25% of two-car garages can't fit one single car because people have so much stuff. In fact, one out of every 11 uh, families in the United States actually has a separate rental space to store all their stuff. That's amazing. Or maybe the place where your clutter gathers is under the bed. And maybe you do what I did when I was younger, and you just shove everything under there and hope it just goes away, right? And uh, everything just gets shoved under, and uh, it kind of, the room looks nice, but you know it's there. Deep down inside, you know it's there. And most of us have a place like that, or a few places like that. And so, uh, let me ask you this question. When was the last time that you cleaned it out? Didn't that feel good? When was the last time that you organized it? When was the last time that you removed uh, some of the junk, got rid of it, and uh, went through, and you're like, man, I don't even know I still had this, or man, I don't even know what this is, and you decided to get rid of it? Or when was the last time you asked yourself, does this spark joy? (laughs) Didn't it feel great just to remove the mess, to do some spring cleaning? Well, here's the reality. Lent, and we're starting a series today around Lent. Lent is an ancient word that simply means spring. And so Lent really is just spring cleaning for the soul. That's what it is. It's a time where we intentionally make room in our hearts to get ready to celebrate Jesus as we move towards Easter, which is only seven weeks away. It's it's amazing. It's a season for cleaning and clearing out the clutter of our lives. It's a time to do an inventory on our soul, acknowledge our sin and our shortcomings, and, and become more and more grateful for a Savior who forgives our sin and removes our guilt and heals our soul. And so that's what Lent is really all about. And depending on your background, you might know something about Lent. I got to be honest with you, I grew up in a a more evangelical sort of a Christian church setting, and uh, I didn't know anything about it a less liturgical setting. And all I knew is that uh, this one Wednesday every year, my, my friends had dirty foreheads. That's all I knew. I was like, I don't know what's going on. You missed a spot, you know. If you grew up in a more liturgical setting where you practice Lent, even for people that uh, grew up with a, a Catholic background or a Lutheran background or some other liturgical background where you practice Lent every year, most people don't really understand what it's about or what it's for. And all they knew is that they were like, yeah, I don't know, we, we painted our forehead one Wednesday and then we ate a lot of filet of fish during that season, right? It was like McDonald's, like for some reason, they sold billions of filet fish for seven weeks during, a, you know, March and spring. And, and so... If you look through the scriptures you, to find out, okay, well, why do people practice Lent? You're not going to find it. In fact, it's not in there at all. It's, it's not something that's commanded in the scriptures. It is, however, a Christian church tradition that started early on. Uh, it started pretty, pretty quickly after the resurrection of Jesus as a way for people to look toward and remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And in about uh, A.D. 325, there was a group of people that got together. It's called the Council of Nicaea. And they actually formalized this as a practice to say, we should take this time and we should spend it uh, actually in anticipation towards when we celebrate and remember the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so uh, the the 40-day season begins with Ash Wednesday, which is this coming Wednesday. The 40-day season begins on Ash Wednesday and ends on Holy Saturday right before Easter Sunday. Well, why 40 days? Why is it 40 days long? Well, the 40 days represents uh, the time that Jesus spent in the wilderness being tempted by Satan just before he begins his public ministry. And so you can read about this story where Jesus goes into the wilderness and he has been fasting for 40 days. 
And, it's, and then he's tempted by Satan, and, and Satan comes and tries to uh, get him to essentially uh, worship him, bow down to him, uh, take some shortcuts to uh, assume his kingdom. And the reality is that he comes out of that, and it is out of that that Jesus then begins his public ministry. And so that 40 days was a time of preparation for Jesus to begin to bring the kingdom of heaven here to earth. And so we celebrate 40 days. That was a season of uh, prayer and fasting, of sacrifice and surrender and preparation. And so Lent is meant to be a time for us where we set aside some time for prayer, for fasting, sacrifice, surrender, anticipation, preparation for the Christian leading up to Easter. Now, if you do the math, and I know some of you are already doing the math in your head, uh, you're like, well, 40 days, it's not exactly 40 days. And you're right, it's not. Uh, If you go from Ash Wednesday up to Holy Saturday, it's actually more than 40 days. And that's because Sundays in Lent are actually not counted. So it's actually six days a week, and, and then that gets you up to 40. And that's because every single Sunday is actually meant to be a little mini Easter It's a mini Easter, a day to remember and celebrate uh, the sacrifice and victory of Jesus uh, through the cross and resurrection. And so as we go into this 40-day journey, there's sort of a theme verse for us that I want us to kind of camp out on over the next several weeks. It's a prayer that Paul actually prayed over the church in Ephesus. And I love this prayer. And I got to be honest with you, this is a prayer that I'm praying for us as a church. I want to take the words of Paul, and I want to make this our prayer as a church over the next 40 days, leading us up to Easter as we celebrate this Lenten journey together. And here's the prayer. Paul Paul is writing this to followers of Jesus in first century Ephesus. I think it's a prayer that we want to pray over Westbridge Church. He says this, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And that's what I'm praying for us as a church. And this 40-day spiritual journey is about God empowering your inner being through his spirit. And as we sort of declutter our lives together, we want King Jesus to take his home and make his throne in our hearts and in our lives. And so I want to encourage you over the next several weeks to take advantage of the resources available during this season. We're going to provide some resources. Uh, There's going to be some practices and some things that we're going to do together as a church. And I want to encourage us to fully enter into this as we anticipate Easter. Jump into a group. If you haven't been in a group yet and you're like, man, I would love to jump into a group, just write that on your connection card or send us an email and we'll create more groups. We'll do whatever we need to do to get you into a group during this season because this is such a, an incredible topic for us to explore together in community. Uh, we're also going to be giving each family a copy of this. We have a bunch of these uh, books. It's a devotional called The Unvarnished Jesus, A Lenten Journey. And you're like, man, I'm not a reader. Man, this book is for you. I'm telling you. Check this out. It starts on Ash Wednesday. And uh, you got to see this, man. Here's the Ash Wednesday reading. And it gives you Mark 8, 31 through 38. You start there and you read those verses. That's seven verses. And then this is where it starts. This is where it ends. That's it. And so it's, it's literally, it's like one page a day. Okay, you're like, I'm not a reader, but I promise you, you will feel so accomplished. You're like, dude, I read a whole chapter today. It's amazing. And every chapter is one page. And you're like, dude, I read 40 chapters in 40 days. It's amazing. So here's the deal. We're giving, we bought enough of these 
to give one to every family. And on your way out, I want you to grab one of these for your family. And this is a great thing to do. It gives just a few verses each day, something to think about, one to two page reading each day, probably five minutes a day. And it will bring us from Ash Wednesday all the way up to Holy Saturday, right before Easter. And this is a great exercise to do with your spouse, to do with your kids as we anticipate this season together. So with Ash Wednesday being this coming week, uh, we wanted to kick off this series by actually introducing us to, okay, what is Lent? What is it all about? Uh, Even if you have a liturgical background, even if you don't know anything about it, we wanted to say, look, there's actually some really healthy practices to this that will help us move towards Easter. So I want to give you five things today that Lent is all about and some things that we can do to make the most out of this season. So number one, Lent is a season of recognizing. A season of recognizing. Now, during this season, we want to begin by seeing and recognizing our own sin, mortality, and death. Doesn't that sound fun? You're like, all right. Yay, Lent. Now, before you think that sounds like a spiritual root canal without any anesthetic, all right, let me, let me just sort of like frame what I mean. When you're younger, you feel that you're invincible right? Uh, I was watching our Westbridge students' uh, Instagram page last night, and they're at this retreat. They're up at, you know, up north, a little bit north of Brainerd, and at 11 o'clock last night, they were making uh, handmade toboggans out of cardboard boxes and painting them and going tubing down a hill at like 11 o'clock at night. Like after the service, they're like, let's do this, man, and they're doing like homemade toboggan runs in boxes. I'm like, that looks absolutely insane. Cold, gross. Who would want to do that? But when you're a teenager, you're invincible. My brother told me after he graduated high school, him and some friends decided they wanted to try some stunts. And so they actually decided that he was going to jump from one moving car to another going 30 miles an hour. I'm like, dude, you could have died. I'm like, that's crazy. How, why would you ever do that? He's like, I know, that was the dumbest thing. He's like, I don't know. Like when you're just like 18 and out of high school, you're like, wow, this would be fun to try. And so, you know, I don't even know if you ever told our parents that. So, sorry, bro, if uh, mom and dad are watching. (laughs) I think I just outed you. But it's crazy how our minds work, right, when we're younger. We think we're invincible. But the the truth is that as you get older, you start to realize, man, we're not that invincible. Many of you are aware that uh, last year, our 15-year-old daughter was in a serious car accident. And when we showed up at the hospital, she was airlifted, critical condition, on life support, That kind of makes you aware, man, life is precious. You're reminded when you face something like that, you're more aware than ever how incredible every moment is, that every single moment is a gift, that you are never promised tomorrow. And so this is a season where we recognize our own mortality, that we are not God, that an end to our life in this body will come for all of us. And embracing that reality actually helps us to live better and wiser now. And that's why this Lenten season begins with Ash Wednesday. Perhaps you've uh, participated in an Ash Wednesday service before, or uh, even if you haven't, you've probably seen some of your Catholic friends or Lutheran friends with ashes on their foreheads, and you go, well, what does that mean? What is it all about? Well, the ashes of this holiday symbolize two things, death and repentance. See, uh, ashes are equivalent to dust. When a human corpse decomposes, it returns to dust or to ash. It's why if you've ever been to a graveside funeral uh, and you've, you've heard a pastor, you, you, somebody do a reading and maybe they've read some scripture and then they say, we commit this body to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ash, dust to dust. Maybe you've heard that phrase before and wondered what it is about. And that idea actually comes from the scriptures and the fact that God created human beings out of the dust of the earth, 
created human beings out of the ground, and then the ground is where our bodies go back to when we die. In Genesis chapter 2, in the creation narrative, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. And then, after Adam and Eve first disobeyed God and sin entered into the world as part of just the, the consequence of sin in our own lives and in the world, God says this, By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. And so, the symbolism of Ash Wednesday is that we remember that we are mortal, that we remember that an end to this body will come. And what's more important is our soul. What's more important is, is that part of us that will live forever. And so understanding and recognizing, taking a season to recognize our own sin and our own mortality actually helps us to recognize how precious every moment is, that every moment is a gift, that we're not promised tomorrow, and that we're not God. And it reminds us that we actually need a Savior to help us. We need a Savior that can help us forgive us, heal our hearts, heal our souls. We recognize our need for him. And so that's the first part of this is that we take some time and we intentionally have a season for recognizing. Now, the second part of this is Lent is a season of lamenting. Oh, this just gets more and more fun. Lamenting is not a word that we use very often in our sort of everyday uh, verbiage, right? Uh, but it means to mourn or uh, a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. You're like, oh, wow, what a party. We aren't very good in our culture at allowing ourselves time to lament, time to mourn. But it's a powerful tool that God has given us to navigate our pain, to navigate our sin, to navigate our suffering. Sadly, the most common way of dealing with our pain or our sin in particular is that we tend to bury it. We tend to hide it. We tend to just, uh, we don't want to express it. We don't want to talk about it. But this is the exact opposite thing that we should be doing with our sin if we want to experience freedom or healing. We talked about this during the last series, that uh, we keep the shame level low here at Westbridge Church so that we can confess our sins to one another. Now, here's what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that we uh, get a, a, a bullhorn and we stand up here and it's like, all right, we're going to take turns. Tell each other your deepest, darkest sins. That's not confession. Confession doesn't mean that you, have to, that you have to go to a pastor or to a priest and share your sins. But there is something powerful about confession. There's something powerful about sharing with someone that you trust, here is my struggle, and here's where I feel sorrow, here's where I, here's where I feel uh, remorse, here's where I feel like I, I've fallen short and I need help. And if we can't do that with each other, if the church isn't the place to do that with someone who's a follower of Jesus, then where can you? And see, we can conceal our sins, and we can, or we can confess them. And concealing holds us back, but confession sets us free. And so lamenting is this close relative of confession and another sort of Bible word, which is repentance. And repentance just means that I stop doing the thing that's causing me to lament and I turn in a different direction. I decide I'm not going to do that anymore. But oftentimes the way to break the power that that has in your life is through this practice of lamenting or confession. And so the Apostle Paul writes about the emotions that we can experience when we lament, when we experience the sorrow for, okay, we've recognized our own mortality, we recognize our sin, now what do we do with that? 
And here's what he writes uh, to a group of people in Corinth. He says, For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. We live in a society today that gives people permission to just live in their brokenness. It's the kind of sorrow that leads to death because it doesn't actually lead me to go, you know what, the thing that is causing me sorrow or grief or the thing that's causing me to feel guilt, I should actually probably do something about that. Instead, what we do is we give people permission. We live in this culture that says, you know what, just speak your truth and no one can argue with your truth. And what we do is we give people permission then to just move forward in brokenness rather than saying, no, you should stop doing that and you should turn in a different direction because that's the truth that sets you free. That's what Jesus promised. And so consequently, we're taught that anything that makes me feel bad about myself, anytime I feel sorrow, anything that makes me feel guilty should be avoided at all costs. But can I tell you something? This isn't a popular message today, but you should always feel guilty of things you're guilty of. Because if you're actually guilty of something and you don't feel guilt, that's called a psychopath. <laughs> I mean, truthfully, psychologically speaking, that is the definition, right? Uh, well, I thought we'd keep the shame level low around here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because shame says this is who you are. This is your identity. You'll, you'll always be that. Guilt says this is what you've done. And it isn't consistent with who you are. Guilt says, this is what you've done, and it isn't consistent with who God created you to be. So stop doing that and be who God created you to be. And you, you should feel guilt for things you're guilty of. When I, when I recognize that I have sinned, when I recognize the evil in my own heart, when I recognize the things that I've done that, that have fallen short of what God wants for me and who God created me to be, I shouldn't live in that. I should say, you know what? I lament that. I feel sorrow for what I've done, for what I've said, for the way I've behaved, and now I'm going to turn in a different direction. It leads me to repentance. See, godly sorrow or lamenting leads me to say, man, I see my own sin, and I own it, and I grieve at the evil that so easily arises in me, and I cry out to God to change me because I recognize my need for a Savior. And so it's not a thing where we go, okay, I'm going to lament and just sit and wallow in my brokenness. Paul says, no, Grieving or recognizing then leads us to the point where we confess and then we turn. It leads us to salvation. It's the truth that sets us free. Now, here's the third thing that's a part of Lent. Uh, Lent is a season of emptying. It's a season of emptying. This is the part of Lent that most people are familiar with, right? It, it's a giving up of something or the removing of something that is an important part of this season so that we sort of declutter our lives during this season to make more room for Jesus, and perhaps you've given up something for the 40 days of Lent. Maybe you did that when you were growing up as a kid. Uh, maybe it's something that you participated in as an adult. Uh, or perhaps you know people who have given up things like caffeine or alcohol or uh, TV or chocolate or social media or video games. And something like that as a sort of self-denial exercise during Lent. And it, it, giving up something is a part of what fasting is all about. Fasting is this biblical practice of going without food for a certain period of time and saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go without food for a specific period of time uh, 
to, but it's not just so, so that I can like feel hungry. Like that's not the idea of it. Uh, I'm going to ask you to consider a few different fasts during this uh, 40 days. I'm going to ask you to practice some self-denial and some self-sacrifice. Here's what Jesus taught. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Part of following Jesus is self-denial. It's just saying no to me so I can say yes to him. It's, it's a regular surrender to God's will over my will. The Apostle Paul called this crucifying our flesh. He wrote it this way, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. This is the removal. This is the emptying, the crucifying our old way, our old way of thinking, the world's way of thinking and living, and we crucify that to the cross of Jesus. And to be honest, this is a lifelong practice. But Lent is a season where we become more aware, where we intentionally empty ourselves of something so that we can lean into God. We have to learn to daily crucify our selfishness, our wrong desires, our sins again and again and again. So fasting is a way for us to deny ourselves to crucify the desires of the flesh. But not just so that we can go without. It's about emptying ourselves for a purpose. It's a, it, it, there's a, a mission attached to it. Self-discipline and self-sacrifice are part of the experience. But the, I, the bigger idea is that we can empty ourselves so that we can fill ourselves with something greater. We empty ourselves, we give something up so that we can experience something more that we've maybe never experienced. And I give up a certain food or I give up um, a meal a day or I, give, I fast one day a week during Lent. And I do that to remind myself that my hunger is for God, my ultimate hunger is for Him and not for created things. Or I give up social media for a season to stop comparing my life to others and to see and to learn what God says about me as I reflect on the scriptures. I give up something so that I can say, God, there's room for you to do something in my life during this season. I'm intentionally making space for you to move. Whatever it is, I give up something to experience God more closely. What is one thing that you'd say, and I'm going to ask you to think about this and, and begin this this Wednesday. What is one thing that you would say, man, I can empty myself so that I can have a deeper connection with God as I lead up to Easter? Over the next 40 days, uh, maybe it's TV, maybe it's social media, maybe it's a meal, uh, maybe it's a particular food, or maybe it's a fasting a day a week, or whatever that might look like for you. And then you take that time, you take that desire, and you let it drive you to Jesus. Because you just don't empty or remove, you also replace. And that's the fourth practice of Lent. Lent is a season of filling. It's a season of emptying some of these things so that we have room to fill ourselves there was a, um, several years ago, well, probably 10 years ago, I, I don't remember exactly, but when we were meeting and we were a portable church and uh, we needed chairs, and uh, we were probably maybe four or five years old as a church, and uh, there was a, a church in Seattle that had uh, 600 chairs that we were going to buy from them, and they were all uniform chairs because at the time we were meeting in uh, a gymnasium, and we just had metal folding chairs, and they were all different arcs on the back and all different colors, and it was somewhat hideous. And we said, hey, they've got these, these, these uh, you know, plastic foldable chairs. They stack. They've got uh, ways that you can bring them in and out. And so we, we drove, uh, we flew to Seattle, and then we got a truck and a trailer, and we hauled all the chairs back, driving from Seattle back to here. Now, this is my first experience with Montana. So I always thought Montana was just this beautiful place filled with mountains. It's not. It is horrible. 
Like the southwest corner of Montana is beautiful. The rest of Montana is flat brown wasteland. Uh, I, I think that they film like, you know, really dystopian movies there or something. It's crazy. And, uh, and so we're driving. And the other thing I didn't realize is how far Montana is east to west. It's like half the United States. Like we came out of Seattle, we crossed into Idaho, we were in Montana, we were in Montana, we were still in Montana. I was like, oh my gosh, where are we never leaving Montana? I felt like we were in some kind of time warp. But there's a spot there where we filled up with gas and we're, we're hauling, we're in a one-ton dually pickup truck, we're hauling 8,000 pounds of chairs behind us. And so we were getting like nine miles a gallon. I mean, it was great. And as we're going, we're looking for the next gas station, and we're just watching that needle go down, go down, go down. And we're starting to panic a little bit because we hadn't seen any civilization in hours. And we're just like, oh, man, please, Lord, let there be a gas station. We pulled into that gas station on fumes. I'm telling you, by the time we found one, there is a stretch in Montana where nothing exists. We didn't see a bird. We didn't see an animal. We didn't see anything. And I think they're just like, you know, that's the stretch. Like, you just got to survive that from one gas station to the next. And man, we pulled in, and it was just like, <laughs> it was just like, and the relief that filled our hearts, let me tell you, oh, so much peace, right? So much relief, so much less anxiety once that tank was filled. And the truth is, too often we run the spiritual tank of our lives way too close to empty. We run it on empty. We don't, we don't live in the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't live in the overflow that he promises us. And so instead, we just run on spiritual fumes. And, and, and we're running on empty, and we want to be daily connected to him. But instead, uh, we kind of just go in our own strength and our own power and our own effort. And I love these words that are recorded. This is uh, God speaking to the nation of Israel, and it's recorded in the book of Jeremiah, but it's such an incredible promise. He says this, I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. Jesus himself said, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And I wonder what would happen if we took 40 days and this season, and as a church collectively, as a church family, we really decided we're going to empty ourselves of some things so that we are intentional to let God fill us? What if this is a season where we remove and we replace? What if this is a season where we're empty and filled? And how that would impact our individual lives and families and community. See, if, if you've been weary, if you've been tired if, if in your life and in your spirit, this Lenten journey is for you. I would say if you've been distracted, if you've lacked motivation, if you've been uh, depressed, uh, filled with worry or anxiety, this Lenten journey is for you. If you've left uh, sort of distant from God or you doubted God, this Lenten journey is for you. If you've been in a season where you're trying to figure out how to deconstruct some constructs from the past that have really been a barrier between you and God, and you're trying to figure out how do I deconstruct some of those unhealthy things without deconstructing my faith and my relationship in Jesus, this Lenten series is for you. See, if you will lean into God, I know he will meet you and fill you. He will fill you up. That's what Lent is all about, an opportunity for spiritual renewal. We empty ourselves to create room for God to fill us with his Holy Spirit and giving God space to do a deep work in our soul, bringing us closer to him.
And that's why we look to this fifth step. Lent is a season of anticipating. We, we do these things, and then we anticipate. Like a young child waiting for Christmas morning, eagerly uh, sort of awaiting the good gifts that are sitting around the Christmas tree. Everything about this 40-day journey should lead us in anticipation toward Jesus, toward Easter, toward resurrection. And we're eagerly anticipating the good gifts that he has for us as we reflect on the cross and we reflect on the love of Jesus displayed through his death and resurrection on Easter Sunday. And Lent is a lot like Advent, the season leading up to Christmas. Both of these are a season of anticipation. And in Advent, we await and we anticipate the birth of the Messiah, Emmanuel, God is with us. And in Lent, we await and we remember the horror of the cross, realizing it's our sin that required such a radical move of redemption from God. And it is our victory that Jesus won through the resurrection. Death does not have the final word. The grave is not the end of the story. And at Easter, we remember that. And so through Lent, we build anticipation and we have these mini Easter's every Sunday where we remember the sacrifice and the love of Jesus. That's why the Apostle Paul writes these words in Romans. He says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. That's why during this Lenten season, we're also going to celebrate water baptism. And I want to encourage you, if you have never made the decision to follow Jesus' example in water baptism since becoming a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that. Because water baptism is a part of the Lenten journey where we symbolize the death and burial of my old sinful self. So I recognize my need for a Savior. I recognize that I fall short. And I want to put to death the sinful nature. Paul says we crucify the sinful nature. Uh, then we, we, we bury the sinful nature. In, in Paul's words, he says, in a watery grave. And so we go down into the water. And it's a burial. It's a death of the old me, the sinful nature. And then, just as Jesus rose out of the grave, we come up out of the water. And this is symbolic of a resurrection, that we're identifying with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. And we experience a resurrection in our lives as well. We are resurrected to new life, to live in victory over those things that enslave us. And I want to tell you, if you're like, man, I, I, was, uh, I grew up you know, Catholic, I grew up Lutheran, I grew up in a, in a liturgical or a church tradition where we were baptized as infants, well, what does that mean? Can I, I mean, does that, does that count? Should I get baptized as an adult? Does this negate that? And first of all, let me just say this. It doesn't negate that at all. But that was a decision that you didn't make. That was a decision that someone made on your behalf. And we're not against that at all. But the truth is there's something about making that decision for yourself that actually just confirms that decision that was made on your behalf earlier. And so even if you were baptized as an infant, if you haven't done that for yourself and made that decision for yourself, it can be a powerful moment where you identify with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. And so that's coming up on March 20th. I want to encourage you to sign up for that. And if you haven't uh, signed up for that or you want to do that, you can just write water baptism right on the back of your connection card or stop by the next step area. And we want to make sure that you have the opportunity to do that. So I want to encourage you to take this journey with us. And this is what it's going to look like. As you do, consider these steps. Number one, recognize your own sin and mortality. Open your eyes during this season. Pray for awareness. Say, God, give me the humility to recognize 
I'm not invincible, and I'm not God, and I fall short. So give me the humility to recognize that and to own that. And then secondly, lament and confess your sins. You do it with someone that you trust, maybe someone from your small group, maybe a close friend. You don't have to confess to a pastor or a priest, but confession breaks the power of sin in your life. So you lament and you confess. And then as part of that practice of lament, I would consider participating in water baptism on March 20th as a way to say, uh, I'm, I'm burying the old me and I'm rising to new life with Jesus. And then third, intentionally empty yourself, giving something up to make space for God. And think about that this week over the next few days and then say, you know what, this is what I'm going to give up starting on Ash Wednesday this week as I participate and intentionally rid myself of those things that can sometimes serve as distractions and lean into God and ask him to fill me, which is number four. Allow God to fill you up as you lean into him. A very simple way to do that is to participate in this devotional every day for the next 40 days, starting on Ash Wednesday, and take some time. And, and whatever you would have done with the thing that you're emptying yourself of, you instead say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to participate in this devotional. I'm going to ask God to speak to me through the words on these pages and allow me to be filled with his Holy Spirit. And maybe you do it with your spouse or your family, starting on Ash Wednesday, and ask God to refresh your soul and fill you with his Spirit. And then number five, we eagerly anticipate our celebration together on Easter Sunday. As we have many Easter's between now and then, we want you to know that uh, we recognize we're continuing to grow and people are moving back into the building and inviting their friends. And it's an exciting time to be a part of the church. And so I just want you to know we're doing five services Easter weekend to make room for everyone. And one of the best ways that you can anticipate Easter weekend is to invite a friend. That you will anticipate so much when you know that you're bringing someone with you to experience the love and the grace and the message of Jesus that has impacted your life as well. So I'm excited for this season together. And I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. That Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him and that your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And if you're here today, and you've never said yes to Jesus, if you're watching online and you've never said yes to Jesus, here's what you need to know. The God of the universe created you and loves you. From the very first human beings to every one of us, we were created to exist in loving community with God and with one another. And yet from the first humans to every one of us, we said, God, thanks but no thanks. Going to live life my own way. And as a result, it's caused brokenness. It's caused a, a rift between us and God and oftentimes us and each other. And the violence that we see in the world... All of, the, all of the things that we see in our culture, uh, these are all attempts by human beings to fix something that we know intuitively is broken. And yet none of that solves our problem because the only way to fix it is to restore its original intent, loving community with God and one another. And so Jesus came into the world. God sent his son Jesus to take on human form, to show us what God is like, to show us how to live and how to love. And what we will discover together and continue to be reminded of through this season is that Jesus then allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb. And according to multiple eyewitness accounts, he rose from the dead. So many people saw him that that's why Christianity continued to move and thrive even in the midst of the Roman Empire and for the last two centuries. Last two millennium. I had to think about that. See, God invites you to be a part of his family. And it isn't something that you behave your way into. It isn't something that you uh, or church attend or earn your way into. 
It's because God created you and he loves you and he just wants to get you back to the original purpose for which you were created. And then as you follow him, there's parts of your life where you go, oh, I recognize this doesn't really line up with who God created me to be. So I want to start to align my life around the way of Jesus. But it begins by just following him and putting your trust in him. And so if you've never done that, uh, if you'd like to do that, whether you're watching online or here, just say yes, just agree with this prayer as we close. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you. And I'm so glad you never walked away from me. So I pray, adopt me into your family. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. And help me to follow you as best as I know how. I want to say yes to being in your family. Now, help me to put my trust in you. Help me to continue to align my life around your way of living, knowing that's why I was created. And God, I pray for this season. May you fill us with your Holy Spirit. As we empty ourselves of some things that tend to distract us or pull us away, open our eyes to be aware of your Holy Spirit, fill our hearts, renew us, restore us. Uh, God, may we look forward with anticipation as we celebrate the victory we have in Jesus. God, thank you for today, and we pray this in your name. Amen.